The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Today's scripture is coming from Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, verses 23 to 24, and verses 31 to 34. The festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death, because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver, so he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to portray him to them when the crowd was not present. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. As to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told them, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, My name is Josh Wright. I am one of the executive team leads and the lead of our operations team. Um, We've been going through interviews all this week of just kind of getting to know people. So I'll introduce myself real fast. Um, I've been with Story City for five and a half, almost six years. Two of those in COVID. So add those in. It's really about 25 years, it feels like. In the midst of that, I've got six and a half, seven kids, depending on how you count. Um, One wife, which we are discussing adding more wives if needed to balance this out. So, welcome. (laughs) My wife jokes never easy. Real quick, I just wanted to um, let you know a little bit about my job, and then we'll jump into this. So, um, I'm part of the executive, as we have multiple campuses, there's a group called the executive lead team that helps shepherd those multiple campuses. And so here, as well as the Granada Hills one, I also lead up operations, which if you're not familiar with church, that also has the financial piece roll up. And the reason we do that, just in case you're wondering, it's both wise... To not have all the money flow up through Jared in churches, it also helps alleviate some of the decision making and how we plan that. So we've got a great team that helps care for that, and we also also added wisdom into our church to make sure that we are allowing ourselves to steward well and not putting temptation in front of everyone. So that makes sense. A little bit behind the scenes. If you ever want to know about insurance policies and such, I am not the guy, but they talk to me about it, and I just nod and go, "That sounds fantastic." In that case, so. All right, you're going to have me for the next uh, three weeks, and we're going to tackle a topic that um, if I told you we're going to talk about guilt and you went to anywhere, you would say, yeah, people know about that. It's not an obscure topic. I think it's actually almost a universal experience to have to deal with and think about guilt. Um, We also at Story City believe something very strongly, that is, the Bible speaks to every area of our life, and so therefore... If the Bible has something to say about guilt, don't we want to understand that? Uh, And guilt just isn't one of these things that's nice to have. Guilt can actually be really oppressive and really heavy. Um, And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So it's a topic, and I think a couple, what, several months ago, we filled out a questionnaire um, that you guys filled out. And it's been a joy to have that because it's helped us think about staffing and roles and and topics and sermons. And guess what? 
we need to talk about guilt. Um, I've been doing biblical counseling for the last 10 years, and um, this topic is the top three topics of all time, and it's never the one that people come in to talk about. We always bump into it along the way, and we better have soul-satisfying answers for this, otherwise I think it becomes something that we endure throughout our lives. Does that make sense? All right. So, we're going to do this over the next three. I thought about this through the illustration of Star Wars, and I thought, that's terrible. I'm not going to. However, I do want you to stick through all three. You're not going to see the whole storyline in today. Does that make sense? And I do promise we will blow up the Death Star at the end is the only analogy I could think of, (laughs) though I realized that it was blown up twice in there, and so I thought, that's awkward. I can't do that. So just work with that analogy. We got that? All right. It's the best I can do. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you for today. We, We don't need more of me. We don't need more of us. We need more of you so that we can hear your word. I pray that you'd bless us today as we look at your scripture and the story you provided for us that looks at and begins this concept of of guilt and then ultimately how grace satisfies that to the core of our being. And we thank you for that story. In your name, amen. In 2012, there was a cold case that had finally been reopened after 15 years. A Jane Doe had been murdered and they could never figure out who actually did it. The police finally, through new DNA and new evidence, trailed one of the suspects that they had questioned 15 years earlier and finally had enough evidence to arrest them. Early in the morning on April 3rd, as police love to do in their early morning raids, they knocked on the suspect door to conduct that long overdue arrest. The suspect, George Wellington, opened the door and as he saw the police standing there, he said, thank God you're here. My guilt was killing me. Still after 15 years, George's mind, an attempt to rid himself of the guilt, never went away. Every morning it was with him. And in fact, it was getting worse. All the attempts he had had in his life to rid it, from drinking to good deeds to a career to even starting a family, never put a dent in ultimately the guilt that plagued him. Not everything has to be quite this dramatic, right? We're not always murderers and talking about that. Let me tell you something about, I taught Sunday school for four-year-olds 15 years ago. And there was 40 four-year-olds in the class. I've done my deed for life. (laughs) There was one woman and I that were in charge. Um, She could not have been more opposite than me. Uh, She was very much a rule follower. I was not a rule follower. My table consisted of all the four-year-old boys that were bouncing off the walls, and we loved it. I refused to rein them in. We had push-up contests. It was a disaster. (laughs) Our lessons were seven minutes long, because four-year-olds have about that much mental capacity to handle anything, and so one day I was teaching on this concept of guilt and hiding and sneaking and getting away with things, and you've never seen 44-year-olds be so quiet in your life. It was eerily quiet. We finished, we went on. The next day, I got a call from a parent that went something like this. What did you teach about yesterday? And I thought, oh no, I don't remember what I did. I don't remember what I taught about. I had to remember what it was. And I explained that. He goes, my daughter came home. She burst into tears and she said, I've been sneaking cookies at night and candy. And there was this other time I did. And she just confessed all of this four-year-old sneakiness. And what was amazing to me was guilt is a universal, isn't it? This four-year-old had this weight from taking cookies. 
that was burning in her. And ultimately, she felt the conviction, that, that, that push to say, I've got to do something about this, and confessed. Well, I also think that um, what we want to talk about today is, is an interesting passage. If you, look at, if you know the scripture, Jesus came to earth, and he had 12 disciples, and he lived his life on earth. And, and in, the, in the story of the Gospels, there are two stories that run parallel to each other. I always find it interesting when God leaves us a story to kind of look at, but these run parallel, literally parallel. We have the life of one person and the life of another person living side by side, and God is allowing us to compare and contrast. Because ultimately, the, the story of the Bible, from Genesis through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, is a story of how God is going to redeem and save us. And this story helps us begin to understand that. And so for the longest time, we as humans have been struggling or wrestling through understanding guilt. And more importantly, we've sought the answers for guilt. If we're honest, the list of short-term solutions is well known. Distractions, good deeds, penance, ignoring them, justifying them. Some of you may describe it as, it wasn't a problem, it was more of an indiscretion. right? So we kind of work through all these things, and some of us just flat out say, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong that I did. Well, at Story City, we often use the term apprenticing Jesus, which means we want to learn from him and follow him in the solutions for our lives. Uh, If you're new to the Bible and the story of the Bible, the main storyline is that we are made by God to honor and obey him. We chose to follow our own way, which we call sin, and that caused a separation between God and us. This disobedience is where moral guilt originates from. See, sin, guilt is the byproduct of sin, which is disobeying or breaking God's law. And the story of the Bible from Genesis through the Old Testament is the same story arc that shows that people have broken God's moral law and we've made a mess of our world and our lives, but God has sent a savior for the solution of our sins and guilt. See, I don't want us to lose sight of that because we're going to talk about some some things that may make us a little queasy today and I want to make sure that we have that in there. What I find fascinating, as I mentioned before, in Christ's life is he addresses this issue head on at the end of his life. And he has left us with no uncertain terms the impact of what unaddressed guilt has as well as the soul-satisfying answer to the way we address and think about guilt. So over the next three weeks, we're going to walk through this. We're going to go slow on purpose. We don't want to rush through this. We want to talk about it because we want time in between, purposely time in between each week to go, let me think about what you just said. And then we'll come back and we'll add to this and we'll continue to build that story until we see the true answers. There are three things I want to avoid. First of all, I want to avoid adding, piling on to people's guilt. This is not meant to be a guilt trip. But because we know this is a universal experience, I do know that there's some sensitivities. And with a crowd this big, I'm going to poke at something that I'm sure is going to hurt. And I apologize in advance, but at the end of the day, we do want to talk about guilt. And to talk about guilt, you have to talk about guilt. So we're going to talk about guilt. Second, I want to be clear that we're not talking about what we call false guilt. There's two types of false guilt I want to avoid. One one is just flat out false guilt. This is the kid who says, my parents got divorced because I was a bad kid, right? That's not what we're talking about. That's false guilt. That's not what we mean. So I don't want you to feel that or see that or think that. And if you're struggling with that, please come find me. I don't want you to interpret that what I'm talking about is that. And the other one is survivor guilt, right? Should have been me who was blank. It was somebody else. And that's, again, use the word guilt, but that's not what I mean by that. And lastly, we didn't read this in the passage, but we are going to address this. One of our stories deals with the complex and sad topic of suicide. I know it's complicated. 
and we haven't talked about it a lot. And by the way, in our survey that we send out, it's a topic we need to talk about as a church. We're not going to talk about that in depth today. So I don't want you guys to hear something as well. People who take their lives must have had something horrible they were hiding in their past. That is not the connection I want you to make. But we are going to bump into that topic, and I wanted to give us fair warning, and I wanted to give myself permission to explain what I meant by that. Does that make sense? All right. It's very quiet. It's four-year-old quiet right now. All right, read this real quick, and then we'll start. So we're going to talk about these two stories. The first character we're going to come in is Judas. There are no kids in the last 2,000 years who have been named Judas for the most part. That name has been ruined. And then we're going to talk about another guy named Peter. You probably know some Peter in your lives. So we're going to talk about these two characters. And we're going to talk about Judas first in the midst of this. And these stories are going to run side by side. So we're going to kind of be bouncing back and forth. But hang with me here. So as we read before, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, is approaching. The chief priests and the scribes, the leaders of the church, were seeking how they might put Jesus to death. So pretty dramatic start to the story. For they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered Judas, that's one of our characters, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests how he might betray them. And they were glad. And they gave him money. And he consented. And he began to look for an opportunity um, to betray them apart from the crowd. Jesus, Judas was one of part of Jesus' group. He had seen and been close to Jesus. He was one of the twelve disciples. And at this point in his life, he made an exchange for continuing relationship with God for money. The Bible says that all sin in one way is an exchange of God for something else. Instead of embracing the truths that God made us to be his children, we seek and pursue relationship with him. We exchange that relationship for something else. We've all been here at this moment. God, do I want to go your way or do I want to do something my way? And I'm willing to exchange something for this. In Judas's case, it was money. But money's never really about money, is it? It's really about power and control. It just happens to be the currency to pursue what truly our heart is wanting in that moment. Ever thought to ask, what was Judas going to spend the money on? Maybe it was safety. Maybe it was happiness or pleasure or respect or value or a relationship or reputation or maybe healing. Josh, aren't those good things? I don't get it. Well, here's the thing. You see, even in our pursuit of good things, God told us how we ought to pursue them. Relationships, love, respect, value. So we are made and designed to pursue God in his way, not our own way. So no matter how holy we try to make something or how refined or convincing we make something in our minds, we ultimately come back to God's word and says, am I pursuing this good thing in a good way? Now, Some of us know, I was not even trying to sanctify it in my life. I was pursuing a bad thing my way, and I knew it. So we've got the spectrum here, right, of those who kind of willingly know and those of us maybe who have been around church for a really long time and grew up and know how to read your Bible and have gone, I'm just going to shift this ever so slightly till ultimately I'm driving, and it's going my way. At its core, sin is exchanging God's way for, um, for my own way exchanging God for self. And guilt is the byproduct of this exchange. Does that make sense? Guilt is that internal narrative that says, hey, you did the wrong thing. And not just like a, I made up the rules, but a morally wrong thing. Something that God set up and said, do not do this, and we've done this. And then guilt comes in. This was the passage I'm going to read now, what happened to Judas in the story from here, from Matthew. This is the part we didn't read, and I'll read this. This is new. 
Now when morning had came, so he had, Judas had done this, all the chief priests and conferred together to put Jesus to death. Judas had exchanged it. They captured Jesus. He got his money and they led him away, that is Jesus, to be delivered up to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he was condemned and felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hung himself. And in this, in this section, we actually see a really rapid progression of guilt, don't we? We see a beginning and end in about 48 hours of Judas's life. And I want to kind of pull this apart for a second. I call this the anatomy of guilt. This is what I call the solutions for Judas. See, Judas feels one of the common experiences of guilt, and that is remorse. After getting what he thought he wanted, he begins to see the consequences of an actions and he doesn't like it, right? This is the calling of the timeout in life where you're going, timeout. I want to rewind. I want to redo on that so that we can get this right and keep going, right? I tried that and I didn't like where that took me. Um, but the reality is life doesn't work that way, does it? And if so, not very often. And guilt doesn't play the same game. So Judas goes even as far admitting that he was wrong. He's like, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. And he tries to persuade those he involved to reverse the betrayal. But what's interesting is they were actually part of the church. So if if you're here and you don't really like the church that much, me too. I mean, this is is a mess. The church here is actually betraying Jesus and actually seeking to listen to the advice they give Judas. They basically say to Judas this advice, deal with your guilt yourself. The church had no answers for Judas's guilt. I imagine they were hoping, Judas was hoping that somehow they would have something that would answer what he was feeling. As the intensity of his group guilt grew, and the advice they gave was particularly tragic because as Judas looked inward, right, they said, Judas, you go solve your guilt yourself, right? So as he looked inward, do you think he found answers for guilt? Most of us, when we look inward, actually continue to see more brokenness, more sin, more weariness, more darkness, more tiredness. There's a lot we see, but it's not answers to guilt, is it? And sorrow sets in, and sorrow turns to despair, despair to hopelessness, and hopelessness finally turns to that dark pit where he believed there was no answer, and he took his own life. You see, this is, Jesus leaves us the story because he says this, I believe. Guilt isn't gonna take you to a good place. Guilt unaddressed will hurt you, and leave you hurting for as long as you live. Unless we have good, soul-satisfying answers, you're going to be dealing with your guilt on your own, just like Judas. Does that make sense? This is a lot of fun to preach. I thought about this actually for weeks. I thought, this is dark, this is heavy. So I want to talk about Judas just a minute more, and then I want to talk about Peter, because Peter's where we see the answers. And Jesus leaves these side by side so we can compare and contrast and go, don't do it this way, do it this way. And he leaves a really quick, very rapid stories that show us this. See, we get a very fast forward version of Judas's life. And I believe God left us this to show us that and leave us with pointing us away from this. I believe this story is a giant stop sign that says your guilt will hurt you. You cannot ignore it. It won't go away. Your guilt needs to be dealt with in a real way though. So there's the hope. I actually think this, even in this story, I believe God is 
beginning to whisper the answer to guilt into it. Here's what I mean by that. You see, Judas was dealing with this all in his own power and by himself. And it ultimately crushed him. But you see, if you go back through the passage, there's never a reference to God at all. So I'm wondering out loud if God has an answer for guilt because Judas tried it without God and found no answer. This passage is sobering and I think it's okay to feel that way. But now I want to begin to share the parallel story of Peter and the way God addressed this. So here's what I'm calling the start for Peter. And it's a very different story and we're going to kind of go through this and we're going to end pretty soon here. In Luke 22, Jesus says something. He says this, For indeed the Son of Man is going um, as it was determined. That pretty much means is I'm going to go die very soon here. But woe to the man who betrays me. And they began to discuss among themselves. The 12 disciples began to discuss among themselves uh, who, who was going to do this thing. And then there arose this dispute of which of them was regarded the greatest. Think about this for a second. Jesus goes, one of you is going to betray me. And they went, that doesn't sound good. We got to figure this out. And so they began a contest that ended like this. We're going to go one through 12. And whoever's at the end is probably the betrayer. So they fought over it. And by the way, doesn't this sound like the church sometimes? I wouldn't possibly do it. I'm number at least three. I'm not one or two, but I've got to be three, right? And then they look and they're like, I think so-and-so might be 10, 11, maybe 12. We don't know. And all of a sudden, they're looking at their deeds and their past acts, and they're beginning to lay round themselves up and try to organize themselves in a way. And then Jesus does something that is just really interesting. Points at Peter. By the way, Peter had come to Jesus to say, hey, can you help us get this order right? I know I'm probably one, Peter's like, but I just, two through 12 aren't getting it, right? Can you just place this in this order? And he says something. He goes, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, Peter. That's the same name. Behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. If you're an ancient farmers, that is a way of thrashing wheat till it falls apart. Peter, Satan wants to take you apart limb from limb. Peter walked up, hey, by the way, can you place this in order? I think I'm one. Jesus goes, you're about to be taken apart, Peter, in front of everyone. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he, Peter said, Lord, I'm willing to go with you to prison and death. And he says, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow until you've denied him three times. So in reality, how many people have, are we going to be praying Jesus tonight? We've got Judas. In reality, we've got Peter, who's going to exchange Jesus for something. So here begins the parallel story of this. You see, Peter go, Jesus goes out and singles out Peter as someone who specifically was going to also betray him that night. And you can imagine the embarrassment and shock that Peter must have felt and as he doubles down on this prison or death, right? Jesus, I'm going, you got it wrong. I'm prison and death for me. I'm willing to go with you anywhere. But not only that, but Jesus says, not only are you going to deny me, but we're going to do it three times. And, and here's something that's interesting, right? One time might be a mistake. Twice is what? Maybe I've got an issue. Three times is a habit, right? A habitual problem. Here Jesus is saying, Peter, there's something in your life that has control of you will ultimately drive you in this moment. But here's where actually Jesus begins to extend promises to Peter. Did you guys hear them in the passage? I'm going to go through them here because this is where I want to end us today is with this hope and these promises for Peter. And then next week, we're going to watch him as he begins to walk down this road 
that ultimately ends him in betrayal, but then also begins the story of grace, where God begins to restore Peter and give him soul-satisfying answers to the guilt that he will experience. See, Peter, because we're in relationship together, this is Jesus, right? You're mine. Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Peter, you've looked internal and thought your own strength was what was keeping you from the consequences of sinning. He couldn't imagine. I would never do that. Only real bad sinners do that. And Jesus says, that's where you're going to go. Peter thought that his little fists of fury, right, were what were keeping us together, right? Jesus, look at me holding on to you. Look at these fists. You think these fists are going to let go? Oh, I'm going to hold on. Right? And Peter, Jesus says, but Peter, the reality is not only will you let go tonight, but you're going to actually push me away. And isn't that the exchange that we often have for sin, right? God, I don't want your way. I want my way. But here's what's, here's what's amazing about this. Peter, you're not going to fall. You won't be destroyed. Not because of your little fists of fury holding on to me, but look at my hands holding on to you. Do you see that? Do you see the difference between Peter and Judas at this point? Judas wanted no relationship with Christ. Peter says, I want relationship with you. And he had it all wrong. He thought he was the one that was holding it together. But he looks and he now begins to see that Jesus is the one that holds him. And can we begin to see the answers to our guilt slowly beginning to be introduced in this? We don't look to ourselves. We begin to look to Christ to go, who's holding you? It's Jesus who holds us. Peter, do you see the difference? You were looking internally, but you will not find soul-satisfying answers there. Look to me for what I am doing. And here's where we start to see God's answer for guilt through the promise that he says. He says, if you're my child, I will not let you go. Even when your habitual sin leaves you, pushing me away, my faithfulness and my commitment to you will keep you from being destroyed. We also know this then, that the answers for guilt lie with who? Jesus. And this is our last section. A quarter of a page. The hope for Peter. In Christ, our habitual sins and the power of guilt that we feel can be overcome by Christ's power, strength, and faithfulness. As we've mentioned, three times is a habit. Don't you love the story? It's not like Peter messed up once. Jesus goes, I'm going to leave you a story where Peter was out of control in his own life. And Jesus says, that's the kind of world I want to see you me step into. Jesus hints to Peter that his fate will be restored after he sins and that our usefulness will be part of God's mission. Do you hear him say that? When you have been restored, feed my sheep. See, God looks through the whole story of Peter's life, gets to the end and says, Peter, you're going to wonder if your usefulness is now destroyed because of what your past is. Jesus says, it's not. I'm telling you this now because you're going to ask that question at some point. Can I be useful to God again? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Our sin is that, our sin is that our hurt that brought the hurt in our lives. You see, when Jesus says you would turn again and strengthen your brother, it's a call to usefulness in His kingdom. We're not thrown away nor discarded. Isn't this the lie that guilt whispers to us sometimes? And by whispers, I mean screams. Look what you've done. You're useless. There's no place for you in the church with God, and yet that's not true. And here, this passage reminds us again. That God calls us into usefulness. Isn't there so much hope in this last little passage? I wasn't, I was trying to figure out how to not do this section. I wanted to get to the ones where they're restoring Peter and there's all this goodness, but I thought we've got to start here with what truly guilt does to us and God's answers for it in this. You see, if you're new to the church or Christianity, this is the theme of the entire Bible. 
that our sin is betrayal to God and that his ways and of his ways and when we exchange them for that we experience that separation and the guilt that comes with it. We see from comparison between Peter and Judas looking to self and others doesn't address that. The rest our soul so desperately wants and will find is found in Christ. And so that's where we're going to leave it today. Kind of Han Solo frozen in the in the, in the what is it? Carbon, I thank you. Some of you were stressing out there. He doesn't know it. <laughs> Carbonite. But I promise you, next week, we're going to follow Peter as Christ begins to deal with him and restore him. And we're going to get a front row seat to this grace that is offered for our guilt. That make sense? All right. I'm going to pray real quick, and then these guys are going to go for it. God, we just thank you for these stories. They're sobering stories. They're, we don't want to invo- avoid the sobering element of this. We want to press into where you're pressing in. Thank you for leaving us these parallel stories. Those in this room right now who are feeling the heaviness of this, I pray that you would help them to see the hope and the promises that you left, which says that those who follow you will find rest for their souls and answers for the guilt in our life. I pray that we would begin to pursue that. Those here who have maybe never pursued you or thought about relationship with you, would look to see and find you in the midst of this. In your name, amen.